Hey everybody, it's Friday, April 26th, and today I want to break down something that we really should all be embarrassed that we're still having to defend in 2019. I'm talking about voting rights. So many people have already given so much for our right to vote, but the truth is it's still so fragile. And there are questions being asked like, should incarcerated people be allowed to vote? How about formerly incarcerated people? What if they committed violent crimes? Should you be allowed to vote if you are in jail but haven't been convicted yet? Aren't you innocent until proven guilty? Where did all of these laws actually come from? And do any of us actually have a constitutional right to vote in the first place? I'm going to unpack all of these questions today. Let's dig in. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. The Breakdown. I think what I'm about to say is going to shock you. It shocked me, to be honest. We don't actually have the constitutional right to vote. We don't. The Constitution, it gives us a lot of rights, but the right to vote is not one of them. Now, this isn't me being crafty with my words. Not a single constitutional amendment was ever authored that guarantees American citizens the right to vote. In fact, according to our Constitution, our federal right to own a gun is stronger than our federal right to vote. And I think we all fundamentally misunderstood this. I know I did. We just don't have a constitutional right to vote. And over the past few days, as people have raised questions about who should or should not be allowed to vote, and presidential candidates have been asked whether or not they support people being able to vote while they're incarcerated, the one thing that stood out most to me is that it appears most presidential candidates haven't even thought about these things before. Let me break it down. Break it down. From the technical founding of the United States in 1776 all the way until today, and I mean right here, right now, the very moment you are hearing these words come out of my mouth, the Constitution, by purposeful design, has not guaranteed people the right to vote. They left it out on purpose. So that document, the United States Constitution, that is so often held up as the standard bearer of global democracy. It didn't even guarantee people the right to vote. It didn't guarantee it when it was written, and it doesn't guarantee it now. Now, it granted some rights to assemble, some rights to speak, some rights to own guns, but it never gave voting as a fundamental right. It could have. Hell, it should have. The framers of the Constitution could have easily made that the first, second, or third amendment. But they knew that if they did, it would immediately mean that white, land-owning men might have to cede their power over to other people who would eventually rise up to vote. And above all else, the Constitution was originally written as a document to protect and empower white men. Who wrote it? It was written exclusively for white men by white men. 
And so they left the right to vote out of the Constitution and left it up to the states to create their own rules and guidelines and laws and policies on who could vote and who couldn't. And guess what? It got ugly, racist, sexist, and classist right away. And state by state started creating a series of complicated hurdles on who they determined could and could not vote. It was pretty much anything goes. Cities, counties, and states, they all started making up types of wild restrictions on who could vote and who couldn't vote, and it was all legal. Right away, people want to say, no, 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 no. The 15th Amendment granted black people the right to vote, or the 19th Amendment granted women the right to vote. But sometimes we actually have to go back and read the fine print. As you may know, from 1861 until 1865, the United States fought in a brutal civil war. And no war before or since has been deadlier for Americans. Nearly a million Americans died and nearly a million more were critically injured, with most of them losing at least one limb. And that's more American casualties and injuries than every other American war combined. Entire cities were destroyed. And let's be real for a moment, please. The deadliest, most brutal, most devastating war in American history was all about slavery. Half of the nation wanted it, and needed it so badly and refused to allow the other states to determine if they could or couldn't have it, that they decided to go to war over it. And truthfully, I don't think this nation has ever properly recovered. But after Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, and then we had the 13th and 14th Amendments that were passed and then ratified by enough states, in 1870, the 15th Amendment passed. And when I grew up, I was always taught something about the 15th Amendment, and I bet you were taught it too. I was taught that the 15th Amendment granted black people the right to vote. And here's the thing. That's almost true. The spirit of it is true. But I need you to understand that law does not operate by spirit. It operates by every single letter, every single word, and every single phrase. Intention doesn't really matter. And the 15th Amendment did not actually grant African Americans the right to vote. Let me just read it to you. It's short, but you have to catch what it says and catch what it doesn't say. It says the following, quote, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. That's it. That's the whole 15th Amendment. Now, let me translate that for you for a moment. First, it doesn't actually give anybody the right to vote. The 15th Amendment simply said that the federal government or state governments cannot deny access to voting 
based on race, color, or it says this phrase, previous condition of servitude. Secondly, the amendment doesn't say that it was for men, but until this point, it was assumed that everything in the Constitution was for men and men alone. That's crazy, right? It was a full 50 years later until women received voting protections with the 19th Amendment in 1920. But it doesn't even say then that women have the right to vote. It just says that you can't keep a woman from voting because she's a woman alone. So in 1870, when the 15th Amendment passed, it didn't say if you are black, you have the right to vote. Now, that would have been beautiful if it said some type of statement like that, that all people have the right to vote. It doesn't say that. And that's still not true. It never said that. Not in 1870, not in 1920, and not in 2019. It just said that the government was no longer allowed to tell you that you couldn't vote because you are black or that you can only vote if you are white. Are you following me? Because when this was written in 1870 and when the 15th Amendment became a part of the Constitution, that became the single most important turning point on when we really start to see voting rights get abused. Let me break it down. In 1870, after it was made illegal to tell black people that they couldn't vote just because they were black, cities, counties, and states began making up not dozens, but at first hundreds, then thousands of stipulations on who could and couldn't vote. And since they couldn't technically say that it was about blackness, they coded it and disguised it however they could. That's when we started seeing what we call poll taxes, where black people would show up to vote and you'd have to do things like guess the number of bubbles in a bar of soap or the number of marbles in a jar or recite the entire constitution without error. You'd have to literally do those things in order to be able to vote. And in some towns, over 99% of African-Americans were unable to vote, even though it was technically against the law to keep people from voting based on race. They just say, hey, this wasn't about race. They just couldn't guess how many bubbles are in this bar of soap. Do you see how they worked around the 15th Amendment? So the 15th Amendment didn't say black people have the right to vote. The 15th Amendment just said you're not allowed to say you are keeping people from voting because they are black. And so they changed it all. And guess what else started happening? For the very first time, states across the country, like Mississippi in 1890 and Alabama in 1904, they started making laws that if you were in jail, if you were in prison, or even if you got out of jail or prison, you just couldn't vote anymore, period. And let's be clear, this wasn't crime. This was all about race. Because I don't know if you knew this or not, but from 1619 until 1865, throughout the entire South, they hardly had any jails or prisons. And the ones they had 
were almost exclusively for white people. And I mean by that, I mean for over 200 years, jails and prisons in the United States were nearly 100% white. And for those 200 years, they weren't worried about letting white people with felonies vote. But when slavery ended, jails in the South went from being almost exclusively white to almost exclusively black in a single generation. And states quickly picked up on this reality and they started putting hundreds of new restrictions on what people who were convicted of crimes could or could not do in society. And guess what? Virtually none of those restrictions were in place when jails and prisons were primarily made up of white men. Today, the estimates are that at least 10,000 unique restrictions have been put in place on people convicted of crimes. 10,000. And in this country, we have tens of millions of people who've been convicted of crimes. So we now have in the United States of America, tens of millions of men, women, and sometimes children with over 10,000 restrictions on what they can and cannot do in society. It's not just voting. But perhaps nothing in the world is more degrading, more demeaning than being an American citizen and not being allowed to vote. And I said this before earlier this past week on Twitter. It's a gross dehumanization of a person to strip them of their right to vote. It's another form of basically telling the person that they are not fully human. They are basically three-fifths of a human. They are American enough for the laws of punishment to apply to them. They are American enough to go to jail or prison, but not American enough or human enough to engage in their most basic civic responsibilities, which leads me back to the presidential campaign. This past weekend, five presidential candidates held town halls on CNN, and they were each asked a version of whether or not they support currently incarcerated people having the right to vote. And all the candidates that were asked this question, all of them either straight up said no or some version of no except for one, and that was Bernie Sanders. And that didn't surprise me, not because I support Bernie Sanders, but because only two states in the country currently allow incarcerated people the chance to vote. One is in Maine, and the other is Bernie's home state of Vermont. So when Bernie was asked a question, he already knew that his answer would be yes because he's seen it in action in Vermont for decades. But the question, in my opinion, was framed in a loaded fashion. The question was framed as, would you give the Boston Marathon bomber the right to vote? And to some people's surprise, Bernie still said yes because for him, the punishment was serving the time in prison not being denied your most basic human dignities. And it actually opened Pandora's box. Because before we knew it, Lindsey Graham, the Republican senator from South Carolina, was weaponizing the question and saying that Bernie Sanders wanted Dylan Roof, the white supremacist from South Carolina who murdered nine people at a church in Charleston, that Bernie wanted Dylan Roof to have the right to vote. 
But see, that's the weird thing about having actual beliefs. For instance, I'm against the death penalty. And I'm against it for maybe six or seven different reasons. But one of the main two are that it's primarily used against black people and people of color. Wealthy white people who murder someone almost are never given the death penalty, period. And because it's mainly used against black people and poor people, experts estimate that hundreds of innocent men and women have likely been executed in this country. So I'm just against it, period. But yesterday, Texas executed a horrible man, and he is a genuinely horrible man. He was an unrepentant white supremacist who lynched a black man named James Byrd. Tying James to the back of a pickup truck in Jasper, Texas, until his body was ripped apart into dozens of pieces. And the man never apologized for it, not even right before he was executed last night. And guess what? I'm still against the death penalty. Not because I like that man, or even because I wanted him to live, because a very primal part of me didn't. But I was against him being executed in great part because I know that the death penalty is rarely even used for white supremacists. Just like I know that most people in prison aren't Dylan Roof or the Boston Marathon bomber. And when we use those two men as the faces of why 10 million people should be denied the right to vote, that is functionally a lie. Because most people in jail or prison right now, they're not mass murderers and they're not white supremacists. They are black and Latino. And so, no, I'm not excited about the idea of Dylan Roof getting to vote for Donald Trump. Just like I wasn't excited about the man who lynched James Byrd, I wasn't excited about him living for the rest of his life. But because I'm against the death penalty, I didn't want to see him executed. Now, no doubt if Dylan Roof had the right to vote, he'd probably cast a vote for Donald Trump. But when you have a belief that all American citizens should have the right to vote, then it applies to all American citizens. And that's a good thing. It protects us from being able to use these laws against people that we love or hate, like or don't like. And that's just my belief. Because right now, Millions of American citizens are being held in jail. And over the course of every single year, over 10 million American citizens are jailed. Now, many of them are in jail right now, and they haven't even been convicted of a crime. They're simply there just because they can't afford bail. And in 46 states right now, even if you haven't been convicted of a crime, but you are in jail after you've been arrested, you can't vote. And to me, that's just plain wrong. If you are actually innocent until proven guilty in this country, it's outrageous that you would be denied the right to vote before being found guilty. And I could go down the long list of people who can't vote right now. But think about it like this. The current law basically states that if you are caught smoking weed, you can't vote. But if you smoke weed and you aren't caught, voting is just fine. And what we know is that only one factor separates who's caught and who isn't 
when it comes to things like weed in America and its race. Smoking weed has always been functionally legal for white people in America for decades. Studies show that white people and African-Americans smoke weed at the exact same rate, but that African-Americans are 800% more likely to be arrested and jailed for it. Do you see where I'm going with this? Listen, I've got to run, but before I do, I've got one simple action step for you, all right? Today, your action step is a little bit of homework. So I have some homework for you. Now, some of you are actually students, and so hello to all the students who are listening. And we also have teachers and professors across the country. So hello to you, and I'm sorry to put some more homework on your desk. But today's homework is super basic. I want you to be more informed and educated on this topic. And I believe that we would benefit so much from having a new constitutional amendment that just gave everybody the right to vote. And it's shocking as I started this episode, it's shocking that the Constitution actually does not give any of us the right to vote. It protects some ways that you can't be discriminated against, but none of us actually have a constitutional right to vote. And so today, for an action step, I have a little bit of homework. I just want you to go to a website and start doing some reading on your own, all right? The website is this. It's righttovoteamendment.com. Now, right is R-I-G-H-T, two, T-O, voteamendment.com. That's righttovoteamendment.com. And just click around and start to see and understand that there's some people thinking through this issue in a very thoughtful way to just say, how can we be better? Because the truth is right now, all over the country, states are continuing to abuse the laws and abuse their power to restrict voting rights and to suppress voting rights and to suppress the vote altogether. And when we see it, it almost always affects voters of color. So for your homework, for action steps, go to righttovoteamendment.com, start clicking around and even go beyond that and start looking at some resources yourself. All right. Take care, everybody. The break. Thank you all for making it all the way through this episode of The Breakdown. Now, if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, we'll be right back here every single weekday, breaking down important news stories and issues. And we'd love for you to subscribe on your favorite podcast apps like iTunes or Spotify. Also, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Our next big goal is to get to 100,000 subscribers, and we just won't get there without you. Have you left a review yet? Now, on Apple Podcasts, we have now over 4,000 five-star reviews, but we still want to hear from you, so please leave your best review when you get some time. Of course, thank you to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star whose generosity even makes this podcast possible. We love and appreciate each of you so very much. Now, if you love this podcast and you want to support our work or you want to see the show notes and transcripts for each episode, we'd love it if you'd consider becoming a founding member of our community at thenorthstar.com. There we not only have all of our podcasts, but we have hundreds of original articles and stories and commentaries from some of the leading scholars and thinkers in the world. 
Lastly, a shout out to our podcasting director and senior producer Willis for his hard work on this and every episode. Take care, everybody. <laughs>